Well, I don't look very often, but once in a while I have opportunity to look at what pastoral search committees are looking for and a quick survey of uh, seeing their postings and what they're looking for in a new pastor and a new candidate uh, reveals uh, things like this. They're looking for a CEO. They're looking for someone to chair the various committees of the church. Uh, They're looking for an event coordinator. They're looking for a counselor for sure. Uh, They're looking for a fundraiser, not just a fundraiser, but a proven fundraiser. They usually want examples of how much money you've been able to raise at other churches where you've been. Uh, And somewhere on the list, inevitably, there's something about being a good teacher. Well, such is the case for most pastoral search committees. That's the kind of pastor they're looking for. This morning, I would like to lead by asking you what you look for in a pastor. What's on your list? What's priority for you? If you are on a pastoral search committee, what is going to be on your list? What do you look for now? What's a priority when it comes to uh, a pastor in the church? Well, following the sermon today, we have an opportunity to affirm Mike Holloway as a pastor. We're going to bring the ordination process to an end, to a culminating high point, if you will, and we will surround him and we will affirm him as a pastor. He's gone through all of the various rigorous things regarding his ordination process, and today is a day of rejoicing. We're going to affirm him as a pastor, and he will be uh, no longer just the administrator here. He will be a pastor on our pastoral staff. It's a great occasion. But I thought it fitting for us, in light of that, at the end of the service, for us to talk about pastoral expectations. What can you expect of Mike Holloway as a pastor? Now, it fits for any pastor, because we're going to look at the Bible. But if you have biblical expectations, if you have biblical expectations, what should you expect of a pastor? What should you expect of Mike Holloway as a pastor? Okay, so we're going to look at three expectations. No doubt there are more of them, but we'll at least look at three biblical expectations. But then, we're not going to be done then. Just to be fair, and I thought appropriate, I thought it would be appropriate for us to look at biblical expectations that he as a pastor might have of you. And so we'll look at then three expectations for a congregation or three expectations, since that's kind of safe to say congregation, because we can just blend in, Uh, three expectations for congregants, uh, for you as a Christian, what should he be able to expect? This is nice to preach a sermon like this, because typically it would sound so self-serving, it wouldn't even be funny, since I'm a pastor here, but I'm just going to blame this all on Mike, and it has nothing to do with me whatsoever. But really, in all seriousness, we want to be biblical. We want to honor Christ by doing what his word says. And I just think this gives us as a church a great opportunity to remind ourselves what the priorities really are, uh, both of that leader and of us as individuals. Okay? That's going to be the plan. By the grace of God, that's what we will do. And so let's go ahead and begin what's expected of a pastor. Number one on my list, it's not a biblically ordered list, but it's going to be in a biblical passage. If you want to uh, simplify it to one word, you could use the word character. 
And we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, even though briefly because of the nature of what we're doing this morning. But if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see the description of a pastor, and it's really talking about character, if you want to boil it down to one thing. And so we should be able to expect pastors to have character. And let's go ahead and look, and we'll, we'll read through verses 1 to 7. We did this several weeks ago when we first started talking about uh, the ordination process and uh, asking you to pray and so on. But let's work our way through this. But really, there's one key statement that has to do with character here. And if you look with me at verse 1, this is what God says through his apostle, the apostle Paul. The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. And I'll just interject quickly because some of you are coming at this from different places and understanding. What's interesting is if you look in the Bible, you see that an overseer, or if you're a King James person, bishop, is used interchangeably for pastor, is used interchangeably for elder. So it just happens to be how they're being described at the moment. And so we say elder, we say pastor, we might say overseer. We don't usually say bishop. But if we were Elizabethan in our English, we would. And there's not a hierarchy. It's talking about the same person, uh, this one who will oversee in the church. And interestingly enough, in 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy to tell Timothy how things should be ordered in the church at Ephesus. This is local church talk. So with that in mind, let's let's continue on where he says he desires a noble task. Verse 2, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. And that really ends up being what, that's what I highlighted in my notes. He must be above reproach. Everything that follows, it would seem grammatically, would be supporting that overall title. And that's where I'm getting the idea of character. He has to be above reproach. He has to have decent character. He has to have Christian character. He, he has to not be an utter and complete hypocrite. I have learned to say utter and complete hypocrite because I have learned to know that we're all hypocrites, right? Even though we're saved by the blood of the Lamb, justified, even though the Bible says we're already glorified and we haven't been glorified, all of this is because of the work of Christ on our behalf and none of us live consistently with who we are in Christ, okay? So hypocrisy is a relative thing, but surely it's not absolute hypocrisy because he has to be above reproach. So there has to be evidences of the grace of God in his life, that the Spirit of God is working, and there is not a growing gap, let's say, between what he says he believes and how he lives. If anything, there's a lessening gap, and and there is commendable character. We might say in another context, we see the fruit of the Spirit obviously working in this person's life. And then Paul goes on to unpack what he means more specifically, and let's just go ahead and read that. What is above reproach? The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I don't want to say much more than that. It has to be obvious. 
that this person is a man of Christian character. Even to some degree by unbelievers, it's obvious that there is character involved there. And so we want to take that seriously. We should expect that of a pastor. Again, sinless perfection. Well, if we expected sinless perfection, then we ourselves don't even understand the gospel. Right? But nevertheless, not to swing on the pendulum the other side and say it doesn't matter how you live. When you read this text and you read the New Testament, it certainly matters how you live. Right? And so we want to see evidences of this kind of grace in someone's life. Over the long haul, not a recent convert, even as we'll see later, uh, not, not affirming, not laying hands on them too quickly. There's got to be time and testing to see if this person, perfect, no, but proven character, yes, so that we can say that person is followable. Make sense? I think it makes pretty good sense. Pretty straightforward. Well, let's move on now to a second thing we should expect from a pastor at Omaha Bible Church or anywhere else, and that would be, in one word, conviction. Conviction. Now let's go to 2 Timothy, and let's see that this person should be a man of conviction. And we want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. And when I, what I mean by conviction, if you look it up in a basic dictionary, it's someone with strong beliefs. Now, that's not quite enough. We want them to have strong Christian conviction. We want them to have strong convictions about Christ, strong convictions about the work of Christ, settled beliefs, settled convictions, so much so, if I go back to 1 Timothy for a second in your mind, in my mind, so much so that they're able to teach sound doctrine. If I can go to Titus quickly in our minds, so much so that they're not only able to teach sound doctrine, they're able to refute those who contradict. Put your dukes up, pal, my dad would say. Settled convictions, gut level, not wishy-washy, not prone to politicking. There are these strong convictions, things they're willing to go to the wall for, we might say. Perfect, no, because even Paul tells Timothy that he wants it to be obvious that he's growing in his abilities. But nevertheless, conviction. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's go ahead and look at chapter 1, verses 10, 11, and 12, and then 13 and 14. Remember, this is a pastoral letter helping us to understand what pastors are supposed to be like, characteristics of pastors. In verse 10, and I'm going to go about halfway through the verse, it looks like, just to see we're talking about Christ. And he says, our Savior. See that where it starts there? Our Savior, Christ Jesus. So he's talking about Christ and the gospel who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. These are these basic gospel building blocks that are fantastic. Verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And by the way, you won't suffer for these things if you don't have convictions about them. But then he goes on to say, but I am not ashamed for I, here's a conviction word, I know. I know. I like it that he doesn't say I feel. Feelings are good, but I know whom I have believed. These are convictions regarding a person, trust in a person. I know in whom I have believed. That's a conviction statement. And I am convinced. That's the word that first caught my attention to say, let's have this be a conviction characteristic. I am convinced. This is ironed out in my mind. I know this to be true. That he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. 
I love that kind of talk. I just, I, I want to hear it. I want somebody else to read it to me. I want to read it. I want to say it out loud because it becomes obvious that he is a man of conviction, the Apostle Paul. He's not wondering because if he's wondering, he ought not be teaching others. He ought not be leading others. But then he goes on in the next words, the next words out of Paul's mouth to Pastor Timothy are in verse 13. So we've learned about his convictions in 13. Follow the pattern of sound words. These are my convictions and I was just rehearsing this, but now I'm going to tell you to follow sound gospel words, healthy gospel words. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard, these are more convictions words, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Don't you love it? I love these statements. He knows in whom he has believed. And he's inviting other, another pastor, by way of application, other pastors to say, you should have these kinds of convictions too. To the point where you're not ashamed. You're not waffling. You're not pandering. You're not going back and forth. It's excellent to see this coming out in the text. This conviction shows itself in the man of God's preaching as well. If you turn over to chapter 4. If you turn to chapter 4, I realize we could just read First and Second Timothy and kind of get the idea, but we're just taking a sampling. You should expect a pastor to have strong convictions, first and foremost, about the gospel. We see this in chapter 4 in his preaching where he says, Paul speaking to Timothy, his, his last word, so to speak, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. And you know what's happening right about then? Knees are knocking. That's how it's meant to be. Nails are being bitten. At this point in time, you should be scared out of your little mind if you're Pastor Timothy. Which gives us a little bit of a hint where this conviction comes from. There's a healthy fear of God Almighty to whom you will answer one day. But that would be a whole other point. We don't have time, so let's keep going. All right, here comes the conviction. Verse 2, preach the word. He has convictions, and so he can preach those convictions. Preach the word. Preach the word about Christ. Preach the word about the gospel. Preach the word of God. Preach the text, however you want to say it. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great, with complete patience and teaching. Gold mine in there that we could talk about, which we won't, but you get the idea. You own this stuff. You know this stuff. And so what do you do with it? Your convictions show because you don't share as good as that is. You preach. You're a herald. And you can't really preach if you don't really have gut level in your bones conviction. You've got these issues ironed out. You know in whom you have believed. And so you can say, thus saith the Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's awesome to see this coming out. He's calling him to be the man, to be the herald. And we should expect that of a Christian pastor. We should expect it of a Christian pastor because it's going to be hard sometimes in the congregation. Surely not in this congregation ever. 
They don't get that on audio. Wink, wink. Verse 3. Why does he have to be such a man of conviction? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate. Literally, it's just this gross, overindulgent term. They will heap up. They will accumulate. They will amass for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, their own lusts. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You'd better be a man of conviction because they're not always going to like what you have to say. But you preach the word. We should expect that. We should expect that of a pastor. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 Paul says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. It's awesome. And by the way, I think oftentimes what people are really looking for is for the pastor to preach himself. Because that's a lot easier to deal with. Just tell stories about his family. Just tell stories about himself and about his experiences. And just go on and on about himself. And people really like that. And Paul says, we did not preach ourselves. We preached Christ. We preached alien righteousness that you don't have, that I don't have, and there's only one way to get it, and that's to acknowledge your utter and complete devastation as a sinner and helplessness, and you need Christ. Paul didn't say what you need to do is just follow these ten principles for successful living, preaching self, preaching self. Let me give you illustrations on how I did it. He says, I, 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 I preach Christ, not myself. We should expect that of a pastor. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, many of you know it well. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now that's conviction. Some of you have seen that painting. I always think of this painting. And I'll say more about it at the end of the service but the painting that Luther's friend painted of him. And Luther is there in the pulpit, and Luther is preaching. He painted this shortly after he died. And Luther is preaching in the pulpit, and the people are on the other side, and in between them is a crucifix. In between them is a cross with a depiction of Christ on the cross. And he painted that to honor the memory of Martin Luther because in his mind, what did Luther do all of the time? He determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ crucified. He didn't preach himself. I love the picture. It's a great image of what we should expect of a pastor. He doesn't preach himself. He preaches Christ and only Christ and forever Christ and always Christ. We should expect that not only of Mike Holloway as a pastor, we should expect that of all pastors. Number three, a third characteristic. Did I say this is a five-part series? (laughs) It can't be, so we're going to speed up. Number three, we should expect a pastor to be a man who, in one word, cares. He's a man who cares. The word shepherd is the biblical metaphor for caring, and so we could say a man who shepherds just want to take a, a few moments to, to think about this together. 
I think most of us would agree a pastor should be a shepherd. As a matter of fact, pastor means shepherd. And we like to use this metaphor. But what does it mean? What, what does it mean to have a pastor who's a good shepherd? What I've found to be true is it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's kind of one of those massageable uh, metaphors, and we kind of make it mean whatever we're looking for. And that's kind of interesting. Um, I, I think maybe what we like it to mean is a shepherd is that guy that we see at the religious bookstore in the painting, and he is holding the cutest little lamb. And so, oh, so a shepherd is someone who sees the lambs as adorable. And we're lambs. I want a pastor who's a shepherd because he'll think I'm adorable. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> That's my opinion. He'll listen to our complaining because we're so cute. We're so wonderful. And, and he'll listen to anything we have to say because we're cute little lambs. Well, you ever seen a shepherd, a real shepherd, like in the Middle East? You ever seen sheep? Not at 4-H, all groomed, with all the stuff combed off. Hmm. What does it mean for a pastor to be a shepherd? Well, listen to what Jesus said. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and, and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he pet the cute little lammies and listen to their complaining. No, it doesn't say that. The people were like sheep without a shepherd. So what does the good shepherd do? What does the ultimate shepherd do? The ultimate good shepherd, I'm quoting from Mark chapter 6, verse 34, says, and he began to teach them many things. A shepherd is a teacher. A shepherd is not going to be content with listening to people's complaints because his job is to be a politician anyway and to affirm their cuteness. They have major problems, and so what does he do? He begins at least, if not ends there. He teaches them. He knows they have to have a, a right understanding. He knows they need instruction. He knows they need to be led because they've been misled by the false shepherds. And so when I hear someone say, you know, I love my pastor, as I've heard said, I love my pastor. He's not a very good teacher, but he's a great shepherd. I have like category malfunction going on in my head. I'm, I'm not trying to say this means there can never be any listening and there can never be any caring. And I'm not trying to say that. But please, let's use the Bible to interpret the Bible so we can draw conclusions and say, you know what? A caring shepherd, yes, might listen to what the problem is, but by nature of being a shepherd following the good shepherd, there's going to be a biblical solution which is going to come in the form of teaching or instruction, and sometimes we don't always like that. 
But that's what a shepherd is supposed to do. They're supposed to care so much that like the Apostle Paul, how about in Acts chapter 20, verse 31, therefore he says, be alert, remembering for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone or teach everyone with tears. That's a shepherd's heart. We would all say that. He's so burdened, he's crying, not because he thinks they're so wonderful, But because he's so concerned about their safety, he's crying. He's teaching them night and day for three years. Talk about long sermons. The shepherd in Paul is caring for the people like Jesus did. Like Jesus did. We should expect Mike Holloway, we should expect any pastor to be a shepherd. And biblically, they're called under shepherds because they're under the great shepherd, the good shepherd, who's Christ. And we know how Christ shepherded. Showing compassion, yes. Absolutely. But he helped people and he taught them. Now, you guys are all glad that I took all that time because now it's time to talk about three expectations of the congregation and you're going to get off easy. Man, what kind of deal is this? Well, maybe it's okay. Let's go ahead now and transition. No no doubt there's more we could say about pastors, but I think that might be a good reminder to us as a church what we should expect. Let's move on now. What we should expect of the congregation? What should a pastor, what should Mike Holloway expect of you and of me as congregants or church members or Christians? Number one, imitation. Let's go to Hebrews 13, if you would. And we'll be in Hebrews at least a couple of different times. If you're new to the Bible, you can turn to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. And then you start working your way backward to the left. And you get to Jude and 3 John and 2 John and 1 John. And then the letters of Peter and James. And then you get to Hebrews. It's the first big book you're going to find. And it's important that we go ahead and look and see that Mike should be able to, a pastor should be able to expect believers to seek to imitate leaders not because the leaders are egomaniacs but because this is how god has set things up and if they're showing great the grace of god in their life and the fruit of the spirit in their life which they can't claim credit for anyway according to god's plan you'd say you know what this is how you do it this is this is how you follow christ and this is how you this is how you learn and this is how you grow in hebrews thirteen seven, we read these words Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And here we go. Imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. So this is a biblical command. So interesting, and I have to use great self-control to not start preaching Hebrews and getting into it, but congregation, many believers here really struggling, really struggling, feeling tempted to maybe not be following Christ under the pressure. And one of the key instructions is, remember your leaders, imitate their faith, you respect them, you observe them, imitate them it will be well for you it will be good for you as they follow christ we might say echoing paul you follow them in fact that's it that is what paul says in first corinthians 11 1 be imitators of me as i am of christ 
So it's not all about getting a cult following, personality cult. But as I follow Christ, you follow me, is what he's saying. And we would want pastors who can, remember we're putting all this together now and gelling it, who can legitimately say, because of the grace of God, follow me, imitate me as I, as, as I imitate Christ. goes back to First Timothy chapter 3 and those qualifications. And so we want to use the word imitation. Another expectation that any pastor at Omaha Bible Church should be able to have of you and of me as individual members. Number two, should, should I say it? This is going to be politically incorrect. Man, I don't know. I'm kind of nervous. Are you praying for me? Sheesh. I can't believe I'm going to say the O word. In one word pastor should be able to expect of you obedience. Any Christian pastor should be able to expect from any Christian congregant obedience. Man, talk about politically incorrect. I mean, you were all excited because you thought I was going to say the O word is Oprah. (laughs) America's theologian obedience lots of qualifiers could be given but let's just go ahead and read the text Hebrews 13 17 comes right out of the chute first statement right there in verse 17 obey your leaders and submit to them oh I guess I should have used submit that would have even been more politically incorrect he says both of them obey your leaders submit to them Pretty straightforward. Now, just so you don't have a panic attack right here on the spot and freak out. Do notice verse 17 is in the context, in the same chapter. He's resuming what he was talking about when he was talking about leaders. In verse 7, which we just looked at. Do do put your finger on 7 and your finger on 17. And if you think it's not sacrilegious, you could even write in your Bible. Um, Remember your leaders, verse 7 who spoke to you the word of God. Then we have, obey your leaders and submit to them. It is crucial and important that the Bible doesn't say, obey your leaders, period, no matter what they say. Context, context, context. As they speak to you the authoritative word of God, what do you do? You obey. If they tell you what kind of car to buy, don't listen. Who cares? If they give you advice on this, that, or the other thing, take it with a grain of salt. Maybe they're a wise person, maybe they're not. Double-check consumer reports to see if they are. (laughs) But the point is, when they're speaking to you the Word of God Almighty, what is your response? Your response is to be obedient because they're not speaking their words, they're speaking the Word of God. Our tendency is to say, well, who do you think you are? Well, who I think I am is the man of God called to preach the word of God. And so you should obey. Can't believe I just said that. Maybe hopefully spirit guided. But it's true, right? It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And a pastor should be able to expect that of you as a Christian. Obey God. Even if he's using a donkey like me to speak the message. You obey God. 
Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. That could have been one of those characteristics, but we didn't add it. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy. How about that for an expectation? Do the right, do the biblical thing, would you, Mr. and Mrs. Christian? Do the right thing so your leaders have joy. And say, you know what, when I talked to that person about this issue that they asked me about, when I told them what the Word of God had to say, they said, yes, that's right. Thank you for helping me. This might be difficult. Can you give me some practical ways I might be able to see this happen in my life? And that leader and that pastor is going to walk away with joy in their heart as opposed to the person who says, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but... or whatever it might be. Then it goes on to say, This is for your benefit. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's not going to be good for you to be that person. Don't don't be that guy. (laughs) Don't be that gal. Well, let's move on now to number three, and we'll end on this. A third expectation that a pastor, including the pastor we will ordain today, Mike Holloway, can expect of you as a congregant is... Honor, honor. And if you turn to 1 Timothy again, you'll see that this is something we're called to do. We're called to honor our leaders, our elders, our pastors, our overseers. And so in all sincerity, I I do want to exhort you to, to show honor to the pastor that we're going to ordain today. Okay? Yes, there are charlatans. Yes, there are religious whack jobs that do things for the wrong motives. Yes, yes, yes. Just like there are false messiahs. But that doesn't mean there isn't a true messiah. In fact, Paul himself even had to say, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Many peddlers out there, absolutely. But there are those who you are genuinely, authentically called by God to proclaim the word of God, to shepherd the people of God that we're supposed to honor. In fact, not just honor. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. And we see that it's not just honor. It would seem that we would want to honor all people. We would want to honor all believers, certainly in a unique kind of way. As image bearers of, of God, as the redeemed who are brothers and sisters in Christ, we would want to honor all of those. But in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, we have these good words. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. straightforward isn't it in fact maybe as we watch hucksterism if that's a word and we watch all the shenanigans that go on and we we watch the priestcraft that goes on and all the scandals and different things maybe that should actually motivate us so you know what where where the word where the word of god is actually proclaimed with authority and humility conviction there's true shepherding going on. We need to honor that. We need to, to, to show double honor. 
You know, one pastoral title I hate in the 21st century is the pastoral title of, guess, reverend. Man. I get mail that says reverend. I'm like, what? I mean, if it said most holy, utmost reverend, then it would be okay, but come on. (laughs) Reverend. I don't want any part of that. But we should have a reverence where there actually is the word of God being proclaimed by the humble servant of God, the man of God, and we should show double honor. And maybe that's where that idea first came from, where we said, you know what, that, that, that's someone to be revered. There's something unique and special there, and I want to acknowledge that. And as we ordain a pastor, we would want to show double honor. We would want to, to affirm that person. We would want to obey them as they speak the word of God so that it would bring joy to them and it would be good for us and all of these other things. In conclusion, I simply read these words at the end of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, or excuse me, verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Whether he's talking about the individual yourself or even the church, by way of application, let's think of it in terms of the church. We would want to have a pure church. So, one of the ways, not the only way, would be to be cautious, to be slow about affirming leaders. The biblical terminology is slow about laying on of hands. It's a great image. It's a great depiction of what we want to do. We want to affirm that God has worked here and this old way of doing it would be to physically put hands on someone and saying, we are affirming what God has done. Uh, we have not done this quickly. We've done it with prayer. We've done it with caution. But we are doing it with rejoicing now. Right? It's a good day. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Mike to come up, the other elders to come up, and we're going to pray for him, and we're going to affirm what God has done in his life. Father, thank you for what we are experiencing as a church. It is phenomenal to watch uh, people hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, feeling conviction of sin, growing in light of the gospel. You're exposing sin. You're making... uh, The truth known, you're bringing about great and good things in the body of Christ and we are delighted in these things, sometimes as hard as they might be. But today we have this opportunity for rejoicing. This opportunity for rejoicing as you have seen fit to raise up a man of God according to your grace who can help with the shepherding at Omaha Bible Church. Indeed, you are the giver of every good gift, so we acknowledge this as a good gift from you. Lord, help us not to be people who put our faith in men, but to look to the Savior, and that we would find ourselves following human beings as they follow Christ. And we pray for our leaders that they would be the kind that continue to not preach themselves, but they would continue to preach Christ. And that's what we would ask for. Encourage us as a congregation. 
May we find ourselves delighting in Christ like we never have before. In Jesus' name, amen.